Christopher Daniel Dunch is a former American neurosurgeon who has been nicknamed Dr. D or Dr. Death. Dunch was a neurosurgeon who radiated confidence. He claimed he was the best in Dallas. If you had back pain and had tried everything else, Dr. Dunch could give you the spine surgery that would take your pain away. But soon his patients started to experience complications. Dunch was accused of injuring 33 out of 38 patients in less than two years before his license was revoked by the Texas Medical Board. His malpractice resulted in the maiming of several patients' spines and two deaths while working at hospitals in Dallas-Fort Worth. The podcast about Dr. Death was also about a system that enabled him to think that he was something that he was not, and it failed to call out a dangerous doctor or correct his actions. His practice was a joke. To me, it's a good example of what happens when someone goes unchecked. Jerry Summers was his best friend. He trusted his friend. And when he had neck pain, he went to his friend for surgery. When he came to, he was a quadriplegic. He later died because of the complications from that surgery. In 2017, Dunch was convicted of maiming one of his patients and sentenced to life in prison. He was an imposter, but he could not see it for himself until it was too late. You know, I don't think that Dr. D or Dr. Death set out to be an imposter, just like I don't think that the Christians who were called imposters set out to do the same thing. Unfortunately, just like Dr. D became an imposter thinking he was something that he was not, the same thing could happen to Christians if they're not careful. There's an example in place to ensure that we don't become the Dr. Deaths of Christianity and so that we can recognize the other imposters. But it's easily overlooked and it's often ignored. It is one reason that we still have false teaching and false teachings today and false teachers. Jesus taught us, he said, watch out for false teachers that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And Paul talks about some imposters in the very first verses of 2 Timothy, where we just read from today. In verses 1 through 5, we see this. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, this does not sound like a really good group of people. Like, this kind of sounds like the people who reside at cell block eight at the local prison. Like, these are the bad guys we put away, right? The next verse says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. What this is telling me is that it's a po- it is possible to have the appearance of godliness, but to be a fraud. I cannot allow myself to follow everyone who says that they are uh, a Christ follower. I cannot afford to follow people who just have the appearance of godliness. They could be a deviation from the truth. And the warning is not just here in 2 Timothy. As a matter of fact, almost every single New Testament book warns about false teachers or false prophets. 
The story of Dr. Death proves that it's possible to be a fraud and not even know it. Fake it till you make it does not work when it comes to neurosurgery. (laughs) He believed his own lie. He lived in complete denial. And we see that it's 100% possible for Christians to be similarly deceived. For me, I want some tools. I need something in my life, some guides, some guidelines to help me tell the difference between truth and lies, between real and counterfeit, between genuine and imposter. And so I think as the body of Christ, as the church, we need to ask the questions of ourselves. How do I know that I've not been fooled? How do I know that I haven't fooled myself and that I am living in denial? How do I know that I haven't followed a false teacher or a false teaching? To answer that question, I'm going to help us understand the opposite. Okay, go with me here. So this is a mini sermon within a sermon entitled, How to Become a Christian Imposter. So step one, follow a stranger. There should be a slide. Here we go. You see the kid here wanting to take the candy from the stranger right there. PSA, if you're a child in here, do not accept candy from strangers. It's dangerous, right? This is silly. Uh, Follow a stranger. What I mean is that there are two types of strangers that you could follow to become a Christian imposter. The first one uh, would be a stranger to the Christian faith. And what I mean is this, that we would determine our beliefs, the foundation of our being, where our thoughts and our feelings and everything come from, we would, we would determine our beliefs about Jesus, about church, about ourselves, anything spiritual from outside examples. We would look outside of Christianity, outside of Christ for those examples, uh, like culture or government, uh, other religions, uh, philosophy, or maybe even a friend circle that we allow to speak into our lives and we allow that to determine our beliefs on God. If we did that, we would be following a stranger to the faith. But also, we have to be careful uh, of following strangers in the faith, okay? This is kind of where we're getting to today. And what I mean by that is an unobservable example, somebody that you're listening to that you cannot see with your own eyes and watch their life. It, It could be Like if you were to determine your beliefs from uh, the preacher on the street corner, right? I think most of us don't do that. Um, Maybe someone that knocks on your door and they want to talk to you uh, about Jesus. Or maybe they have a great podcast or book. Or maybe they're a pastor of another church. I'm not saying that these people are faulty or wrong. What I'm saying is that they're not observable. You cannot see if and how the word of God is working out in their lives. Yet, sometimes we trust them to inform our beliefs. All I'm saying is that should you listen to everyone that professes faith, people that you don't know. So if we look at the church in Philippians, Paul is actually addressing this very sort of thing. What he's saying is that there are some teachers out there who are teaching with the wrong motive and heart. He's saying that there are teachers that are teaching out of envy and rivalry and out of selfish ambition. He's saying that the teachers are not looking to your best interests, but they're looking to their own. He then writes uh, to the people at the church uh, of Philippi that you're supposed to, as followers and teachers, to practice the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is this, is that um, nothing out of selfish ambition but in humility, like Christ's humility, that you're supposed to look to other people's interests above your own. 
and count them more significant yourself. And you're looking for that in a teacher or an example as well. So we have to be careful of the voices that we listen to that inform our beliefs. And for me, that person has to meet two criteria. This person that I'm going to allow to speak into my beliefs, uh, number one, they must love God. They must be a Christ follower. And number two, they must know me and love me. Because there are plenty of people in this world that profess and say that they love God, but they don't know me. And they don't have my interest uh, in their heart. It may be for their own motives that they have a reason to say something to me about God. But also, there are people in in my life that love me, but they're not Christ followers. And so I have to be careful who I allow to inform me about God. So Paul writes this to the Philippians about why he is sending Timothy. He says this in Philippians 2, 19 through 20. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned about your welfare. For they all seek their own interests. He's talking about those other teachers, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. That's from Philippians 2. Paul knew that they needed more than just instruction in a letter. They needed an example of somebody that they could observe, somebody that they could watch, that would care for them in a genuine way and also teach them the gospel. Because it can be dangerous to follow a teacher that you cannot watch. Paul stresses the importance over and over of living examples. In Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, As a side note, I do want to say it is okay for you to supplement your teaching with podcasts and books. These things can be very helpful as we learn and gain understanding in Scripture. But the point here is Paul is saying is that your main example should be somebody that you can see and observe. And so our best action if we would not like to become uh, an imposter, is to have a mentor, somebody in your life that knows and understands Scripture, and you can observe and watch them live that out. So let's look at what Paul was teaching Timothy, because he is teaching Timothy to step into situations like the church of the Philippians uh, so that he could go there and be an example. Because remember, Paul said there was no one like him. So if we look at 2 Timothy... Chapter 3, we see, like, understand that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, uh, people that are lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He goes through that list that we just read, saying, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. It goes on and says, like, they are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. In verse 10, where we get our passage for the day, he says, you However, he's telling Timothy that there is something different about you compared to them. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct. So what he has done is he has paid attention to Paul's living example because Timothy worked with Paul. And so he paid attention to his teaching and his, and his conduct. It goes on to say, wow, evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived But as for you, again, he's drawing a distinction with Timothy here, and he's saying, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And so this is what we see 
uh, what leads us to my next point is that if you would like to become a Christian imposter, step two, put your head in the sand. Uh, because ignorance is bliss, right? This works out really well. Um, here's a quote from MLK Jr. It says, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. It's crazy. Amy and I have been watching this uh, television show literally about an imposter, uh, about a lawyer. And there's this thing that keeps happening in the show. And I was like, wow, I didn't really know that that kind of existed. But like the lawyer senses that someone may be about to tell them information and they kind of stop them. No, 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 don't tell me that. Because if you tell me that, I'm going to have to perjure myself. I'm going to have to lie on the sand and I can't do that. There's this like code of ethics that we live by, but this is like an ethical loophole. Like if you don't tell me, we can still use this in court. And what this is called is willful ignorance. Willful ignorance is this. It's a decision in bad faith to avoid becoming informed about something so as, to, so as to avoid having to make undesirable decisions that such information might prompt. Famous quote from Wiktionary. Um, so <laughs> willfully ignorant. How to be willfully ignorant as a Christian? Let your Bible collect dust. Like do not pick that thing up and don't check the things that you've been told or taught or heard throughout the years against the truth that is God-breathed scripture. But if we'd like to safeguard ourselves from becoming led astray, study the scripture, study the scripture. And not only that, study it while under the teaching of an observable person, watching how the word of God is lived out in front of you. Then imitate that as you imitate Christ. It was these two things together that was the example of Timothy. And that's what Paul wanted to send to the Corinthians because there was no one like him. So here's my story of why I can't just listen to preachers. And none of that's weird coming from preacher. Um, so I was raised in church and I heard one man's interpretation of the Bible for many, many, many years. And there were certain things that were absolutely life-saving. I got saved in that church. I came to faith in Jesus in that church. I was baptized in that church. I learned a lot of doctrine in that church. I met my wife in that church. There were so many good things about that church. But there were a few things along the way that just kind of like raised some eyebrows. It's like, I just, is that really true? Is that really what God says? For one, one of those, this may blow your mind. It blows my mind now looking back. He taught in our church that it was a sin for, to have interracial marriage. I was like, I, how in the world do you get that? You know, when I read the scriptures, I don't sense that that is God's uh, desire at all. It was maybe something he spoke to the Israelites back then, but for us, for you and me as Gentiles, that is not uh, the law of God. Uh, another one was if you were 18 and you were a waitress uh, or a waiter in a restaurant, uh, back then, you could not serve alcohol. But when you turned 18, now you were required to serve alcohol. And if you serve someone alcohol, because drinking any alcohol is a sin, you contribute to their sin, and therefore you are sinning if you serve someone alcohol. Another thing, and I got pulled aside because I'm a lover of rock and roll, you know, and it's like I wear a Nirvana t-shirt to, to church, you know, and I got pulled aside and it's like, look, that music is of the devil. You know, you sin by listening to that music. And I even, there was a Christian band, DC Talk. And because they sounded kind of like rock and roll, it was a sin to listen to DC Talk. And so like, 
when I wanted to be saved and I wanted to go all in because I was in a struggle in my life, I had some hangups because these things just sounded off. But I had somebody who was discipling me and he said, hey, why don't you leave all of that stuff and just kind of like tote it away? Forget everything you ever heard from the preacher and let's open up the Bible and let's go after truth. And so that's how I was able to move past some of these hangups because I realized it is possible for a preacher to preach truth, but to also preach opinions. But someone who's not studying the Bible probably won't know the difference. And that can be dangerous. So our best action to not become an imposter is daily time with God in scripture reading and prayer, because this is how we can know the truth and how we can learn if the things that we're being taught are from God or not. If you question your ability to be able to read and understand the Bible, I want to give you some encouragement today because we can trust that if we approach the Bible in faith, that if we open these words in faith, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us to all truth. So I want to break down real quick 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 and see how it works when we study the Bible. So the scripture is this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations say God breathed or given by inspiration of God. And it says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the word of God is profitable. It is of great value to you. Probably not like your 401ks this past year, um, but like they were a few years ago. Uh, I have a friend who on a whim had uh, a few thousand dollars and he thought he would invest that in Dogecoin. And a couple of years later, uh, Elon Musk tweeted out and this thing like went through the roof and $3,000, no joke, became almost $3 million before he sold out. Like to me, that is profitable. The word of God like that is profitable in your life. It produces something of great value. This is of great value to you. It is profitable for teaching. Some translations might say profitable for doctrine, but what it is, this teaching, this doctrine, is what God wants me to believe. So as we open the Bible, we need to ask our question. We get that up here. Teaching. What does God want me to believe? God wants to inform your foundational thoughts and your beliefs. In 1961, uh, John F. Kennedy uh, had this goal for the decade. He said that by the end of the decade, we want to put a man on the moon and have him return safely to earth. And about nine years later, um, Neil Armstrong put his feet down on the moon and he got to see the earth like none of us will ever be able to do. And a couple of years later, he goes to Israel. And then the tour guide comes up to the temple where we were this past September. I got to see it with my own eyes. And he said, these are the original steps from the first century temple. These are the steps Jesus would have walked up into the temple. And these are the steps where he stood and he taught some of his sermons. And when Neil Armstrong heard that, he got down on his knees and he kissed those steps. And then he said this, he says, I'm more excited stepping on these stones than stepping on the moon. Can you imagine what it was like to step on the moon, something that nobody had ever done? And what was more important to him 
was stepping on the steps where Jesus taught. Because as a Christ follower, nothing is more foundational than the doctrines and teachings that you were taught in the Bible about God, about who you are. The Bible, God's word, is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, and it's profitable for reproof. And this word, some translations may say, for conviction. And what it is, is that looking into the Bible is almost like looking into the mirror. And when you read it, you start to see the things in your life that get called out, that don't line up with that doctrine that you're being taught. So when we read the word of God, we should be asking ourselves, what does God want me to stop doing? Um, The next thing uh, that it's good for is that it is profitable for correction. And what we could ask ourselves is, what does God want me to start doing? Next one. Oh, there we go. Good. Uh, And a lot of times I think we see correction as a negative thing. Like you were young you did something bad, you were corrected. And that leaves like a negative thing when we hear the word correction. We're from Matt last week that God corrects those who he loves. And if God doesn't correct us, we're illegitimate. We're illegitimate, we're not his children. But it's not always negative. In, uh, in Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights, there are people that come that have some things in their life they would like to stop doing because it's destructive in their life. And what we teach them is that you can't focus all your time on what it is you want to stop doing in your life. As a matter of fact, you need to focus more energy on what it is you need to start doing in its place. And when you focus that energy there, then the thing you want to stop doing is affected. And it's helpful to help you stop doing those things. So the word of God is profitable to us because it shows us the things that we need to do to get back on track. It's like putting on a set of corrective lenses that when we put it on, everything comes into focus. That is profitable and valuable to the Christ follower to do. And then lastly, it says that uh, that scripture is profitable for training. And what we could ask ourselves is, what does God want to strengthen? Um, training as in repetition. It happens over and over. You know, you don't go to the gym and expect to bulk up and you do one rep and go home. Like, yeah, I think I, I, think I did that. No, it happens over and over and over again. So over and over and over again, as we look into God's word, and it shows us what we're supposed to believe. It shows us what we are supposed to stop doing that doesn't line up with that. It shows us what we need to start doing. We do that over and over and over. Something happens powerful in our life, and it allows us to gain completeness and maturity. You know, every, uh, every algebra teacher in recorded history Uh, has had to deal with this question. When am I ever going to use this? Did you ever think that when you took math in school? I mean, I definitely did. Math was my worst subject. I mean, D means degree uh, for anyone who needs to hear that. Um, Just get through it. (laughs) Uh, But I I was reading this book recently, uh, not a Bible book, uh, but just a really fun one, by the way. And this is what what an algebra teacher said. His name was Dean Sherman, uh, and it was an internet discussion And it pertained to, like, when are we ever going to need this? And this is what he said. This question really used to bother me. And I would look for a result for justification for everything I taught. Now I just say, never. You're never going to use this. Then I go on to remind them that people don't lift weights so that they will be prepared should one day someone knock them over the street and lay a barbell across their chest. You lift weights so that you can knock over a defensive lineman or carry your groceries or lift your grandchildren without being sore the next day. 
you do math exercises so that you can improve your ability to think logically, so that you can be a better lawyer, doctor, architect, prison warden, or whatever. Math is mental weight training. And so I got to thinking, like, this training that we do in righteousness, reading the Bible is like spiritual weight training. It is preparing us for the battle that is to come. And what happens is when we do this in repetition, um, we become complete, able to do the righteous works that it talks about. And complete, here's my definition here, is having a heart that has allowed God's word to permeate, to work its way in and then work its way back out, becoming the next example. Not an imposter, becoming like a Timothy. Paul saw that it was important that you see and sit under Timothy because he's been under my teaching, he's followed my example, and he studies the scripture. And Timothy would teach you to do the same thing, to follow an example, to study in the scripture so that you become the next example. And so when you study the Bible, it would be helpful if you asked yourself these things. What does God want me to believe? What does he want me to stop doing? What does he want me to start doing? And what does he want to strengthen in my life so that I get to become the next example? And not an example of an example of an example of an example till at some point the truth is just not even in there anymore. But what God desires is for you to become an imitation of Christ, authentic, genuine, not having an appearance of godliness, but having an example of godliness of what it looks like to follow an example and to base that off of the scripture that you study. And it's for this reason that the enemy will take advantage of any opportunity to keep you out of church so that you cannot see examples to get you to follow a stranger. And the enemy will try to have you bury your head in the sand so that you will become willfully ignorant and not expose yourself to the truth out of hopes that you would become an imposter. But God wants something different for you. He wants you to be genuine imitators of Christ for the next person. So I want to encourage you this morning. Our homework with this is two easy things. If you don't have a mentor, if you don't have an example, find one. There are pastors in this church that you could probably, you could call me tomorrow. You could, you could call uh, Pastor Matt, Javon, Caleb, Seth, Danielle, Kimberly. Yeah, there's staff members here, but there's a lot of people in this church too. Look at our elders, look at our life group leaders. There are a lot of you that are sitting in the pews. You have been following Christ-like examples and you've been studying the scripture. If you don't have someone like that in your life, they're probably sitting on the road with you. You could just talk to them this morning. And if you are that person, you know that you've been training and God wants to use you, offer yourself as a mentor. Make yourself known as that. And the second thing is that if you have your head in the sand, pull it out. It's not hard. It is not hard to take 10 minutes a day. Maybe you start in the book of John and you read just a little bit, 10 minutes. And then you ask yourself, what does God want me to believe? What does he want me to stop doing? What does he want me to start doing? What does he want to strengthen in my life so that I can be an example, an imitation of Christ? 